Hey, Mops Leaders, welcome to our Connections podcast. I'm Kendall Parkhurst, and I am super excited about my conversation today with Shauna Nequist. Many of you know Shauna through her books. She is just gifted with words. She's just gifted with wisdom. Shauna, thank you for joining us today. Totally. Good to talk to you. Yeah. So what are you up to? What's a typical afternoon in your house? What's going on? Well, uh, my son will be home um, in a couple minutes, and so... uh this is a fall is an important season in our family. Both our boys have birthdays and they are huge Halloween fans. So, and, um, you know, I don't know when people will hear this, um, but the Cubs are in the world series, which could not be a bigger deal in my family. So all we're doing is wearing our Cubs hats, playing catch in the driveway, deciding who gets to be Rizzo and who gets to be Bryant. So that that's what our days look like right now. I love it. It's kind of like the trifecta for you, which is a very good time in your life because autumn, as I know, is not really your favorite season. It is not. It, you are so right. Uh, this, I know this is a real heartbreak for a lot of people, but I do not like pumpkin spice anything. I don't like to drink it. I don't like to smell it. I am I am not having it. Um, but I will say having my boys' birthdays in the fall and then having them love ha- Halloween so much, it's a really, really fun season. Well, good. I'm glad that there are like some glimmers of things that you <laughs> love in the midst of pumpkin spice time. Speaking of a great time in your life, congratulations on what Present Over Perfect has been as it's hit um, bookshelves and hit Amazon. You've really revealed yourself, your heart through this book. How has that felt to you? Well, there's a funny thing. Uh, I think when you're a writer, you it, it's like you trick yourself when you're writing and you just think like you forget about the part that anyone's actually going to read it. So you just do your thing. You just create it. You just live in your like own little, the world of your laptop and whatever. And then all of a sudden people are reading it and you're like, oh my gosh, did I say that out loud in a book? Um, but it has been so, um, I, I'll say two things. On one hand, this has been the book that I have felt the most free from like the the ideas in this book and the journey that this has represented in my life has changed my life so profoundly. I don't need anybody else to care about it or not care about it. This mm-hmm has changed everything for me. And so I feel really free and really open-handed. Like, so, so if it helps other people, cool, but it did something really big in me. And then, um, it's been totally just such a fun, wonderful season. Yeah. Do you think, I'm just curious when you say it's, it's less about what, how people receive it because of what it's meant to you. Has that come because this is, you're a few books in, do you think, or is it truly because at the heart of it, what it's meant to you or both? You know, I totally think it's both. I think, uh, and you know this, doing creative work, the nature of making anything is getting really comfortable with criticism. You just have to. You just have to become more and more able to let people not like what you make and make things anyway. Um, So I do think I'm more able to put things out there and withstand really negative criticism. But I also think the nature of this project was, um, you know, essentially the book is all about learning to value my relationship with God, the person that he made me to be, and the people I'm closest to in my life more than I value what what people, quote unquote, out there think of me. So it would, you know, if I let everything rise and fall on whether or not people like this book, you know, (laughs) that doesn't really go with the heart of it, you know? Right. So, okay, let's go back a little bit. What really prompted you to write Present Over Perfect? I had the growing sense in my mid thirties, especially when our second son was born and I was finishing a third book that, um, 
I was losing the ability to be present and to enjoy the things that were the actual things I really wanted in the first place. I desperately wanted to be a mom. And especially, um, you know, one thing, you know, you and I share, Kendall, is I've had, it was really difficult for me to have our second child. And, you know, that journey that we were on. And um, I so badly wanted to be a good writer. And I wanted to be a great mom. And I wanted to be a really present, connected member of my family and my neighborhood and my community. But you wouldn't know those things about me if you observed my life because all I was doing was working. I was just, I was traveling so much. I was speaking so much. I was generating new content for this and hitting a deadline for that. And I really lost some of the most important parts of myself and how God made me and what mattered to me. Kind of, I I sacrificed the things that mattered most to me on the altar of productivity and, and being thought of as a responsible, hardworking person. And then all of a sudden I realized, oh, this is not worth it to me at all. This is not getting me where I want to get at all. And I knew I needed to change my life. And how hard was that? Because it seems like in making that choice, there were some things that needed to die, things that you needed to let go of. And there is grief, I would imagine, in that process of letting go of some of that productivity. Well, the the great thing is, is that, you know, no one really changed. Look, kind of the bad news is that no one ever really changes till the pain level gets high enough. But then the good news is that frustration, that pain level, propels you to make really hard changes you wouldn't have made otherwise. So those mm-hmm. first several big changes were not out of like deep character. They were just out of desperation. I just needed to make a change. And um, and then when you start seeing the good stuff, when you start to feel like your old self again, when you start to play again, when you start to be proud of yourself as a parent again, when you start to feel really connected the things that matter most to you, that's like fuel in the tank to keep going on that journey. And where did you see the most benefit? Like, where did you see that those changes really brought about something that you had been missing? I think the, the, the biggest changes were in my relationships, in my marriage, and in my relationship with my kids, and in with my very closest friends. I feel like, um, you know, someone asked, someone asked my husband, you know, how did, how did this work for you? And what was this journey like for you? And he said, you know, I have my wife back. I, the, the person I married was someone who loves to laugh and loves to play and loves to make life feel like a special occasion. And for a while she was really busy and she was gone a lot. Um, and she was very efficient and had a lot of lists and, and now we're back to that girl. And, and I'm really thankful for that. My kids, I think, enjoy our time together more than they did when I was so tired and very rarely all there emotionally. So those are the things that are the most important changes, I think. So, you know, at MOPS, our um, our philosophy and, and the way we're really headed is to let go of some of the details of the meeting itself. You know, as women, especially on Pinterest, we can get so caught up in details of hosting um, same same way you talk a lot about hosting in your home and what that looks like. And we want people to be more focused on making eye contact and sitting and being present more so than the details of the centerpiece or how perfect my casserole is. What are you learning about being present over perfect uh, as far as being in relationships around a table, whether it would be at a mops group or inviting friends over for dinner? 
Um, that's a great question. And I would say, I, I, I wish you could be like, I wish I could do like a demonstration in our house. Um, I used to really, I used to spend a lot of time thinking about the menu and thinking about the table layout. And, 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 and sometimes I would put so much energy into getting something ready, getting everything ready. But that by the time it came, I I missed it. I, I, I was too tired or too whatever to really be present. And I would say, I, I've, discipline myself very specifically to save my energy for the moment that people come in the door Hmm. Uh, so that it's not 1 million hours of preparation, but, but that the best of my energy, the best of my, my heart um, happens with people. And, you know, um, you would even see my, my style of gathering people of of entertaining has changed a lot. Um, I do less and less seated dinner. And like, so like last night we had a house or not last night, Sunday night, we had a house full of people and we sat around the kitchen Island and, um, we just, people ate chips and a bean dip that I made in a skillet and never moved into a nice bowl. And we, I've been doing a lot of paper plates lately. And, uh, so for like the boy's birthday, I really, I love cooking for their birthday. It's always a fun thing. We have both sides of the family over. And this year I said, you know what we're going to do? I'm going to call a friend of mine who who's a really good cook and I'm going to ask him to bring everything over in foil pans and it's just going to make it all really easy. And so I would say I am pro paper plates. I'm pro takeout. I'm pro sitting in the kitchen. Um, if that means it gives you the energy to look people in the eye, to listen to their full story, to not be like buzzing around the whole time, whatever it takes, whatever simplicity, whatever limit um, whatever help you need in order to give the best of yourself emotionally, mm-hmm. not um, the performance or perfection side of things. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think one of my favorite quotes from one of your past books, it might have been Bread and Wine, and I think you were actually quoting another friend of saying that when someone leaves your house, they should leave feeling better about themselves instead of better about who you are and what you know, you're able to do as a host. I love that quote. So a woman named Sybil, who I've known for a long time, says hospitality is when someone leaves your house feeling better about themselves, not better about you. Mm -hmm. And I love that because what it says is they receive something in our home that makes them feel more safe, more known, more loved, more restored, more nourished, instead of saying like, wow, that Shauna is fancy, or she's talented or she makes a great whatever whatever um but that's the the point of hospitality is to nourish people and nurture them and restore them and so um it should always be about what you're giving to them not what they're seeing about you and i think that's a reminder to keep in mind yeah and just looking at the base of your motivation like what is driving you and if it is more about you and how you look then you kind of need to check that a little bit Absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the things we say kind of in our community is a full house is better than a fancy house. So if if the if the if the way you have to entertain, like if you're going to have people over, it has to be fancy, then you're probably only going to do it two or three times a year. Mm -hmm. But if you say it's better to have a full table than a fancy table. You can do it whenever you want at a moment's notice because someone needs you or because you miss your people or something. It doesn't always have to be a knockout. And so I think when you take that performance and perfection away, you you lower the, the standard standards and the expectations so that it's doable. I wouldn't ever do it if I didn't make it really doable. Let's say a woman comes into a mops group who's brand new, a little scared to be there. What makes someone feel like you are present to them? Well, you know, one thing I would say is um, I always uh, open the door for people. Um, 
it's really, I, I don't want people to feel confused about what house they're at and confused about whether or not they've been, they've come at the right time. And I know that sounds silly, but um, that greeting job is so important. Mm-hmm. And I think um, like I've, and I've been to so many mock scripts. One, one of the fun things about my job is I've been to like, I feel like tons and tons of mops. And, um, I've experienced so many times someone coming to me and not just greeting me like hi, as I walk in, but taking me all the way through the beginning process. Where do you want to be? And where do you want to sit? And where'd you come from? And, and, you know, I'm the speaker, but they don't know that at first. And a lot of times I can tell they're just being a kind, friendly, welcoming person. Um, as though I'm a person new in town coming to sit at one of their tables. And I appreciate that so much, but I think it's, it's not just the hello at the door. It's seeing someone all the way through. And then I love it when let's say someone's going to deliver me at a table. This is the table I'm supposed to sit at. And they let the people at the table know, they let me know something about someone at the table and let me know some, them know something about me. So we have a little starting point. Mm. So if if someone walks in and says, Hey, this is Shauna. She just moved here. She's from Bids. Um, Shauna, this is Lauren. Lauren has a two-year-old and I know you have a two-year-old. Just that beginning really makes me feel like someone had, like I have a lifeline into that group. Yeah. And you've, you've been given a place to land, um, not wandering around, um, feeling a little bit invisible. Somebody has seen you, welcomed you, and then given you a place to land and teed you up for a continued conversation. I think that's great. Um, Shauna, what else? I know being on the Belong Tour, you all are really trying to open the doors to women who maybe wouldn't normally come to an event that talks a lot about faith. And I know I'm not saying this the way you all would say it, but it's just my understanding. Um, What is some of the language you're seeing being used? Uh, What is some of just the trend towards trying to open doors to women for us in our MOPS group, women who would never uh, step foot in a church? Those are the women we want to be reaching. Um, What's been your experience on the Belong Tour with that and just what you see is happening in the landscape of our faith culture? Well, one of the things um, I think we, so we did, we did all these surveys and had all these conversations and said, what do women really care about? What are the things they want to talk about? Um, and what they came back and said is they want to talk about faith, relationships, and purpose. And I think a lot of times when we talk about um Opening the conversation about relationships and about purpose leads you into a deeper conversation about faith, but it's sometimes it's hardest to start with the faith part. And I think that's what MOPS does so well is you start with the relationships. You say, well, what we have all in common here is that we're moms. We all care about being better moms. And so when you start talking about women's most fundamental, you know, uh, moms, for example, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, the relationships we care about most, that's an easy place to start. And then when you build some uh, connection and time and trust, then the conversation about faith comes easily after that. But I feel like we spend a lot of time opening conversations about uh, about relationships and about purpose so that we earn the trust to be able to talk about faith on a deeper level. You'll even see like, um, and I, I hope people pick up on this, but we start our event talking a lot about relationships and purpose. And then by the end of the event, the event, we speak a lot more forthrightly about faith because we've earned the trust to be able to do that in that room. But I think it's the same around a table and it's the same around a semester for you guys. Mm-hmm. And how have you seen that in your own life? How have you seen when you try to almost force something, you know, we we so just want this person to sort of um, make us feel better by agreeing with what we believe um, versus just really caring for someone because 
because they're made in God's image and you care about them. How have you seen that personally in your life play out in different ways? Well, this is, sounds like a, a really circuitous way to answer it, but um, there are uh, seven of us that were best friends in high school and we stay in touch. Um, we just got together again this last summer. Between us, we have like 25 kids or something. It's absurd. We live all over the country. We get together every couple of years and um, many, several of them have become Christians uh, and completely, I had absolutely nothing to do with it. Like when we were in high school and I just so desperately, zealously in a really young, sweet, but probably pretty naive way, wanted them to become Christians, they wanted nothing to do with it. And then as they grew and their lives changed and they ex- started to experience their own kind of spiritual ache, th- then they, they moved forward in those relationships for themselves. And they did not need me to establish that for them. They just needed to, me to be there when they wanted to talk about it. And so I think when you take a really long view toward friendship, um, then a person isn't a project. They're a friend no matter what. Um, these women have been in my life since I was 13. Um, and so when you take the really long view and you say, I, I care about the whole of your life. I care about your marriage. I care about your kids. I care about your soul. I care about your sense of purpose. And of course I care about your spiritual life. And I'm ready to talk about that whenever you want to. It doesn't have to be the only thing I'm caring about in your life. Um, so I think whenever we love the whole person of any background, that's a solid, a more solid foundation on which to build an authentic relationship. Oh, I love that. And I think that fits so beautifully with um, what we do at Mops around our tables. Well, on a final note, Shauna, um, you know, after writing this book and just being in the season you are raising your kids, um, what would you say to our moms who are feeling just um, kind of tangled in that ability? We always hear, enjoy these years. They pass so quickly. And, you know, we get almost more scared by those comments that we have to somehow be memorizing every moment and be present to it. What would be kind of your final message to our moms? The biggest thing I would say, um, my friend Tish is a blogger and a writer, and and, uh, she wrote a post years ago, and it was right right when I needed to hear it, but kind of the essential message that she was communicating was, you're the boss of you. And I think for every mom to remember, you and your family, you and your husband, or if you're a single mom, you get to decide the life you're going to live. You get to decide how many activities you say yes to. You get to decide how busy you are. You get to decide. uh, A lot of times we feel controlled by our culture that I have to be this. I have to be that. I have to be live up to this. Um, You get to decide to decide the shape and weight and dimension of your life in every season. And I think sometimes we don't take responsibility when we really can. If you need to slow down your life, you can do that. If you need to um, build some new relationships that are more healthy or more life-giving, you can walk away from toxic relationships. If you need to, um, whatever it is, we have so much more authority of the shape of our daily lives than we think we do. We do not have to live under the thumb of Pinterest and the scale and the other moms at preschool pick up. You just don't have to do that. Your life can look any way you feel matches your values and your passion. And I think there's so much freedom in, and beauty in that idea. Absolutely. And just empowering to take it back from living a reactive life and making on a more proactive, uh, empowered choice. So Shauna, thank you for joining us today. What's up next for you? Where can where can we find you? You're finishing up the Belong Tour and... I'm finishing up the Belong Tour and then I'm going to be like 
I joke about it. Like, I'm never going to leave the house right after that. I'm going to take a nice, long, cozy little break. But I actually, we're working on a couple more projects. And um, we're thinking that one of them might be um, a full-color cookbook. Oh, fun. I think that would just be a really creative, fun experience. And so it's not quite official yet, but I hope it will be. That's something I'd love to work on next. Oh, well, the rest of us will be waiting for that anxiously <laughs> um, and just fun to know that we can keep an eye out for um, other ways to experience more of Shauna's passions in the future. So thank you, friend, for that and um, just for the way you've supported Mops through the years and been a great voice for all of us. So thank you. Oh, yeah, I love what you guys are doing. I'm totally a fan of Mops and you guys have um, so many of my dear friends have found their footing um, and made great friends and used their gift and ways um, in the context of MOP. So I'm always cheering you guys on and it's always good to talk to you, Kendall. So thank you. 